All right. We are here for the Behind the DM Screen Help Jeff Make a Fate Core Game special, where two guys are going to help Jeff make a Fate Core game. And we have a different one of our guys today. Instead of having Sam with us, we have Mike Olson, of, who does work with, what, Evil Hat, right? Yep. And um, uh, I did contribute to uh, Jade Punk, and I'll be contributing to Tian Shah. And, uh, yeah, and I did, uh, of course, Kerbos Club for Art Dream. And uh, Legends of Anglaire, which you can't get anymore. Oh, for and Atomic seven. Robo and... Well, World yeah, but we'll talk about Robo. <laughs> That's an Evil Hat production, right? He said, you know, you do work with Evil Hat, so... <laughs> yeah. I don't want to go... Look, guys, I don't want to list all my credits. We'll be well, here <laughs> I was just going to say, what are your credentials, but, you know... <laughs> um, well, I have... Uh, what qualifies you to help me make a fake core game? Right, I have an O level in aspects. Um, yeah, his, that his stuff. His name I, is uh, on the front cover of Fate Core. Yeah, it's a pretty good yeah, sign. Yeah, I, I helped write Fate Core, and I uh, helped on Fate Accelerated, and um, I contributed stuff to the toolkit, which was super fun. Um, and uh, I, yeah, I write the uh, Spirit of the Blank blog, which is fairly occasional now. Uh, but uh, that's only because I have two kids. That's my excuse. Mm. And also, also, I've been so busy with Atomic Robo. But um, there are good things to blog about with Atomic Robo. I just don't have time to do it. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. But uh, uh, yeah, so I've worked, you know I've done a fair number of uh, fair amount of tweaking. I was just saying I think I've run Spirit of the Century straight once or twice. But everything I've done pretty much with Fate is hacking it to fit something that I want to do. So uh, yeah, I feel confident that I can help you do this thing. Cool. Well, you know all those crazy Skype problems I was having earlier, uh, Mike Shea. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, as soon as I uh, hijack Skype, it's doing it again. So I don't know if that's going to affect the, the recording quality for everybody, if they're going to mm-hmm. be hearing weird things or not. Uh, but hopefully they won't, and I will just sort of deal with the fact that I'm hearing myself in my own headphones and out of my mouth. <laughs> so that will be that is awesome to be dealing with that. <laughs> but I'm a professional. I'll make it work. You'll get, a, you'll get over it. Yeah, I just hope it doesn't make the recording sound crazy for everybody listening. So we'll see how it goes. Sounds fine to me. Okay, good. Of course, it's recording on my end, so if my end sounds bad, that's that's probably what they'll hear. But they won't hear my actual voice. They'll just hear the, the mic. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. Anyway, I don't like to edit, so let's, let's move on and get to the part they want to hear about. Uh, first, I, I want to give a little bit of background about w- what it is we're doing here, what the, the concept, I guess, of the game is. Um, yeah. Back when we first started Behind the DM Screen, I was in the middle of my 1 to 30 4th edition D&D campaign. And uh, we ran all the way through 30 levels through the Forgotten Realms the entire time. Uh, as I read the Forgotten Realms um, uh, campaign guide, it, it, there was a story there that I thought I, it wanted me to tell. So that's, the, that's what the game that we ran. And it was basically restoring a god of magic, only the god of magic ended up being one of the, the players at the end. And it was dealing with um, Zaz Tam of Thay, who was trying to become a god himself. And then they intercepted it, and, became, and they became a god instead. And, and all this crazy stuff happened. And, and long story short, at the end of the campaign, um, all of the characters either came back came, became gods well one of them became the god of magic and then all the others became demigods or exarchs in fourth edition terms 
And then I, I've always told them, you know, hey, we may have an opportunity later on to come back to these guys and revisit this world and do some more with it. And I think we're at that point where I need – if I'm going to do it, I need to do it. And so I, I hunted around and I talked with Mike Shea here for a little bit and we tried to figure out, you know, what would be the best system. And then Fate Core sort of seemed like the way to do, hey, we're going to play gods, you know, and still have a system around it without getting overly complex. So that's where we're at is um, we're going back to the original 4th edition 1 to 30 campaign. Only now they're gods um, and we're using Fate Core to do it. Uh, I have two, I, I have sort of a, a vision. I mean 5th uh, edition is coming out soon. They're reboot or not rebooting. They're reworking the Forgotten Realms and moving it forward and, and, and resetting the norms I guess. And I would well, kind those, of like – Those are first time for everything. That's right. That's never happened before. Um and I'd kind of like to have, as a big Realms fan, I'd kind of have, like to have the opportunity to to run a game in the Realms again at some point. But I feel like right now I would have a hard time doing it without, I don't know, I feel like I would be cheating on this 1 to 30 campaign that we did for like four years. You know, we we established a new Realms and now I just want to mm-hmm. ignore it and go back to the, to a no. different Realms and that, that, no. that feels weird. Right. Um, and so I have kind of two ideas in mind. Well, I guess I have one idea in mind and one goal in mind. Uh, I had an idea that... I had sort of incorporated a bit of possible time travel into the the original campaign. There was this one character, uh, this blind prophet, who sort of showed up every now and then. Um, and there was an implication that, that this little girl they found towards the end of the campaign was actually the same blind prophet, but, you know, a little girl. And so she had apparently grown up and then time traveled back to set up all the other things that happened. So I'm like, oh, we could do a time travel thing where, you know, the, the, the Fate Core game ends – as they, as they, as gods, g- gain access to you know a, a, a time vortex or whatever, and that's the end, right? And the, the implication is they go back and reset things, and it's they reset it to where the new Forgotten Realms is. And then it occurred to me, but maybe negating their entire four years of campaigning in in one session of Fate Core isn't necessarily the best <laughs> the best route to go. They may mm-hmm. take offense, uh, you know, wiping out everything they did. Yeah. Um, and so I guess my other, you know, if we don't go that route then, or, or if we don't give them that option, um, I, I at least want to get, find some way to give the, the setting and give the, the game enough closure that everybody feels comfortable still going back to the realms, but it not being their realms. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because um, that's how... exactly all I have now. That, that's okay. that's the end of my preparation. Now it's your guys' turn to help me. Okay. Well, I, I was going to ask how collaborative is uh, the process of setting up what the game's going to be with your players? Because if you could come up with a good, compelling reason for them to want to wipe out everything they'd done and, like, hit the reset button, um, and if they were into it, then that would be pretty great. It could There could be a lot of pathos in that. Like, mm-hmm. everything they work for, now they realize, oh, we have to... Like, you know, if for some greater good, we have to undo that. Mm-hmm. But, um, uh, but I don't know how much, you know, I, I don't know what level you're collaborating with them to to get the campaign premise together. Um, yeah, and I, ha- I mean, I had a, a, a vague sort of story in mind where that would work. I think because, like, I mean, it, it could always be a situation where you know they became, you know, they, one of their characters became the god of magic, and that was never really meant to be, so to speak. And and slowly over the course of a hundred or two hundred years or whatever, things are starting to fall apart. You know, um, mm-hmm. and and in order to save magic and save the world, maybe what they have to do is is go back and reset things and make and make the god of goddess of magic be who it was supposed to be instead of them. 
But I'm still not yeah. sure that that doesn't just negate everything that they, that they did, even if it's their choice to do it. Yeah, if it's if it's well, I mean, but if they don't care, but I mean, not if they don't care. If if they if they think it'd be dramatically cool to uh, to have to go back and undo everything they did, if that would if that feels like good closure to them, because I can see that being good closure, then you know, then uh, mm-hmm. I don't see anything wrong with with doing that. Like we had a. We uh, in 2012, a number of us ran these living dungeon world campaigns at Strategicon in LA, where you make a character Friday, you play them all weekend, and Sunday nights like the end of the big storyline for the weekend. And one of them resulted in uh, being it ended up being the origin story for the Prime Material Plane. Hmm. Like, oh, it turns out you guys doing this is responsible for your version of reality. Like, you never, never knew that was the case, but there it is. So I can see like something kind of similar happening with them. But they would have to – it has to be like we we want to do it. We have to make a conscious effort to do it, not just mm-hmm. like, oh, no, that thing happened, and now everything is you know negated. But again, that's uh, – I, I don't know. I, I can see that working, but I but you'd have to get a lot of buy-in from the players. Yeah. So if you don't think you get that buy-in, then – I'm not sure I get the buy-in. I, okay. I wonder if, if there's not some way to present that option, and if they don't take it, still have closure. Yeah. Well, I mean you know? like is this a conversation that's happening with them as well or – you know, um, th- like how how do you work it with your players? Um, sometimes it's a conversation we have with I have with them, and sometimes it they like to be more surprised, right? Um, but they've also had several campaigns now, kind of in on, end on a downer. So, <laughs> okay, so I'm a little hesitant to do it to them yet again. You know, right? Um, Part of me, as we're talking though, part of me almost wonders what if what if they do the time vortex thing, but instead of negating themselves, they go back not to the point that 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 time skewed or whatever. They go back and sort of become the guardians of time that still exist and are still you know guarding the timeline or and protecting it or whatever, and and so they're still important and still doing their thing. Yeah. So that might work. Yeah. You know, you have to forgive me because I don't have very in-depth knowledge of Forgotten Realms. If mm-hmm. we're talking about Greyhawk, I'd be a little better off. <laughs> um, so I know that Forgotten Realms goes through these, like, sort of setting, not reboots, but these big upheavals now mm-hmm. and then where, like, everything changes. Typically um, called realm-shaking events. Yeah, so do you know what is happening then? Is like, are, are, you, are you aiming this already at the thing that you know D&D Next is going to be doing with the realms? I'm, I'm not, but only because just trying to set it up so it can you're do right. whatever. They've sort of diverged so much at this point that the goal was just to get them to the point. You know, the thought I had was the last scene of the adventure was, "Hey, we accomplished whatever this thing was, and we've opened the time vortex." Right. The end. That that you know, and the assumption is that we went back and fixed everything, and now D and D next. You know. Right. Okay. So, is it at all reasonable within? the uh the scope of forgotten realms to create like an alternate dimension that an alternate reality that ends up being whatever D next is so it's, that their thing is preserved and it's D next so there's no reason it couldn't yeah i know <laughs> it's it's awfully star trek yeah. but but um you know that occurs to me too if they were responsible for the creation of this other thing and they it would be kind of cool then to make new characters in this mm. new setting. Oh, if and, they were the ones that created D and D next. Yeah, exactly. Like the, so it's all it's all happening because of the sundering. What because if they're the ones that actually went back and created the sundering? Yeah. Oh. That's interesting too. So then like so then all the time they're playing new characters in this new set. Because if it were me, I would be 
I'd be pretty down with that. Where the whole time we're playing in this setting, I'd know my little first level PC is, exists in this world because of my 30th level PC. Yeah. In that I like that. I like the idea of them going back in time and actually creating the Sundering. Not yeah. just going back in time and, and, and stopping themselves or whatever, but going back in time and, and causing what is, what is the end yeah. next. That's cool. Like the Sundering is what we called it, was what we call it now. Yeah. <laughs> but at the time, it was just something they had to do. And then, oh, what do you know? That ended up being a huge big, big deal. Who knew? Yeah, that's cool. Uh, but I don't, I don't know what that would be because, again, I don't have the background of Forgotten Realms. Well, and, and Wizards has basically said that, that they're not going to probably go into a lot of the details of how, the, how and why the Sundering is happening. They're just sort of telling the stories of people in okay. the world when it's happening. So, so we can fill in that gap, and that'll be great. So is the Sundering something like, uh, like Ragnarok, like everyone knows it's going to happen? Um, not necessarily, no. So um, what happened was the, in the, well, the beginning of the of fourth edition – two worlds sort of merged and became the new status quo of the Forgotten Realms. Uh, and so the Sundering is them splitting those two worlds apart again. And, okay. and the gods are all using this massive upheaval as as an attempt to, you know, gain their own advantages and whatever, as everything is sort of going back to, to the old way, the way it used to be before the, the second edition switch in the Time of Troubles. Boy, I tell you, the Sundering sure sounds a lot more serious than the Time of Troubles. <laughs> it's actually yeah it feels pretty similar yeah, yeah. just from a just from a nomenclature standpoint like right. we had we had some troubles big big deal yeah well, the, yeah, the funny thing is sundered the, now <laughs> the spell plague was actually more of the sundering right i mean that's you had like continents smashing in the continents mm-hmm. and giant rifts oh, and, really? yeah and this one there's no like giant physical things other than i guess the world's are splitting back up again hmm. um so jeff i have a couple of questions yes um so uh, one is how many sessions roughly do you think there will be in this? Uh, in my mind, I was thinking one to three, closer to one. Okay, so so only a few. Yeah, if, a, if, a, if a more, real short sort of yeah. thing. But you you run relatively long sessions, though. But yeah, we do go um, five or six hours at a at a time. Okay. Then um, you guys played through Aeon Wave last week or so, right? We played through Aeon Wave just last wave just last weekend and. Uh, and finished it with like an hour or two left from our order time. Like we we called it off early for the night. So. Right. Um, did they resonate pretty well with the system? Yeah, I think they got along with the system pretty well. Okay, so they you know, it wasn't anything where they're like, ah, oh, this isn't anything like my fourth edition stuff. No, or, I think they were into it, which is I guess kind if of why from four E to next, they're 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 ready for some pretty big changes. Yeah, yeah, I think they're open to. I mean, and and okay. I think they're more open to it because it's a short term thing. You know, we're we're dabbling. Mm-hmm. You know, so they're you know. Who's not willing to try something for one for one night? You know, right? Um, there's a when you when you you know the the the, the problem with kind of going back and, and creating the sundering is you already have the end worked out, right? Like we we mm-hmm. kind of know some of the main functions of the sundering. We know that gods are coming back. We know that you know there there is kind of this time of troublesy sort of thing. Return of Ball from Murder of Baldur's Gate and yeah. whatnot. And you're already. If, if your plan is to kind of steer them towards creating the Forgotten Realms that Wizards is coming up with for next, then there's really not a whole lot that they're going to be able to truly change in whatever outcome they have for the adventure that isn't going to re- end up with that result. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And, and, um, and they're level 30 PCs. So theoretically, they should be able to destroy all of Faron. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> So, so one, one question I have is: Is it do you, how do you think they resonate with the idea of having a you know, and to use a nerdy, you know, computer nerdy idea of forking, you know, forking the Forgotten Realms? 
so that there's, you know, there was clearly this split where another Forgotten Realms exists, not not even in like a multiverse sort of sense, but they're just, you know, we're, you know, the, the Forgotten Realms that you guys played in three in, in three point five and heading into this direction may not look like the Forgotten Realms that we play in when it comes out in, you know, later this year or whatever. On the assumption it comes out, I, I think they'd be open. Yeah, I mean, the ultimate goal is to. I mean, and, and I sort of have a similar, you know, how I mentioned, you know, last scene in my other idea was, you know, they open the time vortex and, and that's the end, right? Um, that can still be the end with the goal of basically creating the sundering, right? We don't have to get into the actual sundering event. Right. We just have to get to the point of them having the idea and the ability to make it happen. Yeah. And then we, and if, and that can be the end. If you can touch any sort of uh, quantum physics-y sort of idea mm-hmm. that there are, you know, an infinite number of parallel sure. worlds, then the minute you open up that, the minute you can say, okay, this is one of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? and, yeah. this is and the minute you do time travel, it's kind of like in uh, 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 Bioshock Infinite, right? The minute you have even a fingertip that goes from one world to the other means that now there is some kind of thread that connects them all. Hmm. So um, not, that was a spoiler. Sorry. So well, I haven't have played it yet. Thanks. Yeah, it's really good. You should play. You can just have the two universes. You know, this one and then the other one where yeah, everyone wears right. cowboy hats. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, one thing, and and Mike can probably speak to this more. But what one idea I had, if it was even two ep- two two scenarios, but I don't know how this works. If one of them, if they're they're pretty long, is you can have a world building. A, you know, a world building session where everybody sits down with blank pages, including you. And while they're putting together fate versions of their characters and you're having conversations about what, you know, how the adventure ended and and where they have come from and what's gone on, you're slowly drawing threads from all of that to build out whatever the rest of the adventure is going to be. You know, now Mm -hmm. if you're, you know, a super GM, you could actually start right with that and go right into the game, you know, without anything else. Most people aren't that good. Right. Would need, would need <laughs> a couple of weeks to be able to sit back and go, well, okay, let me, now I've got, you know, like, yeah. in a three-hour session, you could have a good three-hour session. You could have a couple of encounters. You could do some interesting stuff that you just pull out of your ass. But then you say, okay, now I've got a couple of weeks where I'm going to come up with the real adventure based on all the stuff we just talked about. And now you know that the adventure you're coming up with is based on ideas that the players came to the table with, not big ideas that you had that they might right. go, ooh, I hate yeah. that. I don't want to go back and try, you know, no. I hate time travel. Right, and and here's well, I have a couple of thoughts on that. Um, one, I, I they haven't in the past been real open to taking that kind of initiative. Right yeah. when, when we've tried stuff like that, it's kind of fallen down. You get the deer in the headlights. Yeah, I get a little bit of the deer in the headlights, or I, or I get them with coming up with ideas and stuff, and then when they get into it, the ideas don't play out. You know, like they I don't know they they suddenly lose interest in it. You know, they're they're at, when we've done it, they've been more interested in the creation than in, in playing mm-hmm. in that in that situation or whatever. Um, and then my other thought was, um, Aeon Wave went really well. I kind of have it in my head of, of putting together a scenario sort of in that in that vein, but you know, obviously, very different story. Hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, like you you provided enough guidance in Aeon Wave that it allowed us to tell the story, but allowed them to really, you know, live that story. Right. Um, and and the design behind that was people sat down at the table with no idea what the hell fate was and right. no idea how to play this game. And I I feel like that level and of guidance you, was really good you guys for them. Do have that. You know that was that was just about the right the right level of you know 
you take ownership and, and I present a story and whatever. And I feel like that went really well for them. Um, and I'd kind of like to replicate that, that, um, ex- experience, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, help, help me out. What was it about Aeon Wave that, uh, works so well for you in that regard? Is there... Well, so, Aeon Wave, um, like, it presents, like, there's there's a starting point and an ending point, and then there's an infinite number of things that can happen in, to get from point A to, to point C, right? So, is that part of, the, like, the structure of a scenario? You you come up with, like, you... Is it, I mean, is it not just jam advice, or is it, like, something where you are, you're prompted to come up with where things are going to end up before you start? Well, no. So, Aeon Wave, and I should just let Mike talk about it, because he wrote uh, it. But, this is fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I, I know. I can, see what, I can see what you actually got from it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, well, so Aeon Wave is, is more than just uh, advice and whatever, right? It's also, it's, it's almost an adventure, right? So, there's an opening okay. sort of hook, and then there's a the goal is to eventually get to this place and you still have to choose what to do when you get there. And there's consequences for what you choose. Um, but you know, you know, it's going to start here, you know, it's going to end in there. And here's, you know, a half dozen different ways that they might choose to get there. So you have something to, to play off of, but you know, maybe they'll do something else and you can figure that out and here's some tools, you know? Um, and I sort of liked having that level of guidance, right? They knew where they needed to go. They knew what they needed to do. They knew where they were and then they could be creative and figure out all the in between. And then the characters as well had a lot of guidance built into them, right? Um, there's a certain point where a lot of the characters feel fairly similar, but there's just enough sort of uh, variables or this one's got this one stunt that's different and that one's got this skill. And then, you know, and then you have all these blanks to fill in and that worked out really well too. So they all had enough start to, to teach them how, how Fate Core worked, but also owned the characters. That's, uh, it's funny to me because... Um Sorry to digress a little bit, but uh, Atomic Robo is almost the exact opposite of that. (laughs) As a GM, I plan the premise, like I plan the setup, and then there's this thing that's assumed to happen at some point in the game called a brainstorm, where, you know, there's always that moment in a game where people are like, so what's going on here? Or what do you think that guy's about? Or something like that. Mm -hmm. Where, like, people start to try to, like, figure out what's going on. So the brainstorm is everyone gets together and they do science at it. um, (laughs) And then they, they figure out they form a hypothesis. Everyone throws out ideas, and then based on those ideas, those those facts or data points, someone forms a hypothesis about what's going on, and that becomes the thing that's going on. So I don't actually know going in, like, are those UFOs or are those the, you know, vanguard of an invading force of Helsingard or, like, what? Um, so they'll figure it out at some point. And then, I mean, admittedly, uh, I can <laughs> – it's pretty easy for me to steer things where I want them to go, but um, but the context is going to be different. And honestly, really, it could go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just kind of funny that like how to me that that feels like a very uh, like a, like a real contrast. But it's good because it can support both those things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I mean, I guess my my vision was I would give them some sort of opening scene. Yeah. And that would present them with here's this problem that needs solving. Here's this problem you are in the middle of trying to solve. Yeah, okay, yeah, even better. Um, here's this problem you're in the middle of trying to solve, and it deals with, you know, the world's falling apart, and one of the maybe not, not you know, awesome solution, but most likely solutions is you got to go back and, and re-split the world, right? And then and thus cause the sundering. Yeah. Is that, um, is that yeah. follow, or am I way off base? No, that does. I mean, uh, again, I'm a little hampered by my 
lack of setting knowledge, but um, but uh, yeah, uh, I I don't know what the I don't know what the problem would be exactly, but I think that's what's at issue, right? Trying to figure out what that problem would be, sure, that would prompt them to go do that thing. Um, but uh, yeah, um, well, and I and, like and, in in the course of going back and like, let's say, do we have an established time travel thing yet? Do we have rules like time cop for it or <laughs> uh, no? There are time, no, there time are no bandits rules. rules. Yeah, time bandits would be better. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, so what about when they go back? There's some like causality problems that they create just by being around. They they do stuff when when things happen around them as a when things react to them because because of the being there. That's those are problems with time. They're like little cracks in time or something they're they're causing. Um, because I thought it'd be cool if when they go back in time. There's this uh, there's a thing in the toolkit that also is in uh, Kerberos Club and also is in Atomic Robo. So I'll let you guess who wrote it. But <laughs> there's a thing in the toolkit called collateral consequences. Just change collateral to like temporal. Hmm. Um, and uh, so basically, whenever they're um, whenever like someone takes a big hit and uh, and they don't want to take they don't want to deal with all that damage themselves or they can't, they can instead take a temporal consequence, which is like a pool of shared consequences they all have. So instead of something bad happening to them, something bad happens to like time. Hmm. Um, so there are you know the same mild, moderate, or mild, major, severe, and extreme consequences. And um, I mean, you can read this toolkit, but mild and major temporal consequences would be things they could maybe fix if they did it right away. Maybe there's you know they could bring that butterfly back to life or something. They whatever it would be, they they could deal with it. But um, severe and extreme temporal consequences would be like major problems in the fabric of time that like they cannot repair they're going to have uh repercussions for them later which by the way could end up being the sundry um or or you know lead directly to it or something but that that seemed like that'd be neat just like um time and temp or like any of these uh time travel games where you know stuff you do in the past you create paradoxes or whatever that's like becomes you kind of has a snowball effect where it becomes a big problem for you um, it, it just seems like that might be a neat way to deal with, like time travel mechanically, and have that have that matter, you know, uh, have that be right in their faces. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's, yeah. that's what I'm here for, right? I'm here for the fate end of things. That's right. <laughs> I'm clearly not here for the forgotten realm end of things. No, no, no. no that, that, that's, that's actually that's good, and, and it actually got me thinking um, a little more forgotten realmsy. But it gets away from the temporal. Like I like the idea of having the temporal in their face to to present that as the theme of what's going on. Uh, yeah. But it also occurred to me, um, so magic in the Forgotten Realms is something called the weave. There's the weave of magic that sort of permeates the entire world. And the god of magic and the weave are synonymous. They're the same thing. So okay. when the god of magic dies, the weave is destroyed and, and what ha- what have you. So it occurs to me that instead of having temporal consequences, there could also be weave consequences. You know, oh, yeah, yeah. Every time or they instead. do this big thing, they're damaging magic itself. Yeah, yeah. And magic yeah, is falling suggest, apart. Yeah, I would suggest having one or the other. But yeah, I like that too. That, that's great. Yeah, I like the idea yeah, that like magic that. is falling apart and, and maybe the the reason magic is falling apart is because there's these two worlds that are jammed together and they were supposed to split apart and it never happened because they saved the day. Yeah. You know? And, and ultimately, you know, that means they've got to not save the day or unsave the day or whatever. Right, right. So, so if I could offer some slightly unsolicited advice. Absolutely. Well, it's all solicited. That's why we're here. Okay. I, I, I wouldn't, you know, as you find, you know, this is some lazy DM BS, but 
as as you find your mind going into what the players will or won't choose or mm-hmm. what the characters will or won't mm-hmm. do, that can easily fall into a trap of you narrating what they're going to end up. Right, and it becomes the railroads. And and an easier way is to say what's the what's the situation in the scenario? What are the complications? What are the areas and interesting environments they're going to run into? Who are the major players and what are they up to? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now drop the players in there and let them pick. Okay. And, like and planet planet like a front in uh, Apocalypse yeah, World. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. Right. Exactly. Like a front in in Dungeon World or Apocalypse World. And the problem with that is it may end up you know and, and and it may end up somewhere you totally didn't expect sure. it yeah absolutely see I'm, you can't you can't want i'm, will, it I'm willing to go where i don't expect that's fine right and and if you're willing to, to again to kind of split off the entire world and say okay well that happened here that doesn't necessarily have to happen there it may end up that way and you might find ways to kind of tie it and you might look like a magician at the end by saying aha and everything you did ends up leading to this undering right sure it, it, it may end up that way but you don't want to push it or steer it yeah, that no, way. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, know. I get that. Yeah. I, I, I am willing that to, to say if all of this goes a completely different direction, right. then I find another way to, <laughs> to to close things up and move on at another time. And, you know. Yeah. Or just or just talk to them and say, okay, we're done with this this version of the realms now. Let's go back and try, you know, and, and do it out of out of game, you know. I, I can do all that too. Mm-hmm. I just, it would be serendipitous if it all worked out, you know. But I'm willing to leave it up to serendipity if that's where I the like the goes. idea that as as these uh, weave consequences, like they accrue them. Of course, you have to that kind of relies on them accruing them, and they might not. But if you hit them hard enough, they they will. Believe me. Mm-hmm. From like I speak from experience. Yeah. If you keep hitting them for twelve, they're like, well, I guess I'll take a severe weave consequence. <laughs> what else am I supposed to do? Um. So uh, uh, so yeah, I kind of relies on that. But I like the idea that. That just becomes like the sundering itself becomes like the kind of necessary evil or good. Like, yeah. like as as magic is damaged more and more, like it just if you guys want magic, you gotta you gotta this sundering thing has to happen. Yeah. Ultimately, like if you want to save magic, which is your yeah. goal, you're the god of magic, yeah, then right. you yeah. can't be the one in tr- running it. Right. Yeah. You've got to give it up to save it. Like is like there's some. Um, like whatever damage they're doing to the weave or some element they're introducing into the situation becomes like a like a uh, like a neutralizing agent for magic. These two things can exist, but they can't exist together. Mm-hmm. Or if they do, then you know there's just no magic. And so, um, but and, and part of me thinking things are fine. So like the the last scene of the one to thirty campaign was was on the body of a god in in the astral sea. Zaztam is conducting a ritual using his phylactery to to focus the ritual to gather up all this divine energy and make himself into a god. Only they shove Zaztam out of the way and they jump into the ritual and, and absorb all the energy instead. Um, but that means the ritual still went through Zaztam. So all this time Zaztam has been gone and dead because they destroyed his phylactery in the process or whatever. But there, but you know he became the god of magic. Through Zaztam's phylactery. So, what if it's the the subtle presence of Zaztam hiding in his own divinity? Yeah, that is slowly causing the cracks in in the weave. You know. Yeah. Which then brings back the big villain of the of the original campaign. Or is that is that I mean is it? Um, yeah, exactly. So he's not really gone. Yeah. Not not as long as we remember him. Well, he's <laughs> not really gone so long as you're around and the God of Magic. Yeah, because yeah, he's hiding exactly. in you. Yeah. And now you've introduced his uh, Zaz Tamness into uh, into this the other thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good because that uh, that's something they wouldn't even notice until um, the end. There, right? Until it all mean, started to fall apart. Yeah, yeah. So that would be uh, that. That works well because um, 
it's not something you have to like. I guess it's possible to drop hints about it or something, but mm-hmm. I don't think it's anything anyone's even going to think of. But when it's revealed or when they get there, it's going to be a real like penny drops moment. Like, oh, oh duh. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it'll, it'll make sense. It's ideally something you want that's both a surprise but that makes complete sense. And if they're like, oh, I guess if we just stopped to think about that, that you know, we would realize it. But yep. those things are hard to pull off, but it sounds like yeah, that's, that's a good setup for that's it. A, that's a good starting point, point anyway. Yeah. All right. So I think we've got at least a premise. Does that sound fair? Yeah. So now, By the way, now that, what, that game sounds pretty rad. So, but now what do I got to do? <laughs> How do I turn this into an actual game? <laughs> what are the um, steps? Okay. Are, so like – like a fake game, not yeah. Some, okay, fake. fake core game. Um, well, the first thing I, the first two things I would think of, I guess. One, are we, we're sure we're going to use fake core. We're not going to use approaches. We're going to use skills. Well, that was a, that's actually a question I have for you. Is given yeah, a, it's a one shot game. I don't know. When, when would thing. when would one want to choose fake core and when would one want to choose uh, fate accelerated? Because I, I lean way more towards accelerated these days, and I'm pretty sure I'm not alone. Yeah, um, I think there are neat things to do with accelerated that aren't like like core accelerated it's just not not less line accelerated as written um uh, or you can just use accelerated as this but i i think it'd be it might be cool to i don't know it might be cool to change the approaches it might be cool to uh like in the fate free port if you know they're really familiar with D already you could change the approaches to uh the you know standard six D abilities you're gonna to have to walk um, me through more because I have not even read the Fate Accelerated book. Okay, well let's let's pause this now. You go read it. It's only about fifty pages, and then we'll come yeah. back. Okay, we're back. Because you're saying approaches, um, and I don't know what that is. Uh, so approaches, approaches are like the six uh, primary. Uh, they're they're kind of like the D and D six attributes. Okay. Yeah, except but, there but, are uh, there are methods instead of you know facts. It's um it's ways of doing things. There's careful, clever, uh, flashy. Uh, forceful, quick, and sneaky. Okay. So those are like the different ways of doing things. Mm-hmm. Um, something you should be aware of, though, is um, this is how much of a problem this is for you depends on your point of view. I don't think it's a problem at all, but but it's entirely possible for some who just kind of spam their best approach mm-hmm. um, if they can, because it's just a matter of describing how you do a thing. So mm-hmm. if you have plus three forceful and you just want to be forceful about everything, you're going to be forceful about everything. But I don't think that's a problem myself because as long as you demand that people really describe what they're doing uh, you know, and to justify using the approach they want to use, then what you're really doing is just tricking them into being really evocative and colorful with their gameplay. And honestly, and, uh, that works really well when they're playing gods because gods yeah, in, in the I, realms are known for like, this is yeah, my portfolio it, and this yeah, is what this I is do and that's all I do. You know? Yeah, and that's why I was going to say, if you could come up with five or six other things that match the setting, yeah, I could different approaches, you can, you know, uh, like if magic is one or I, I don't know. Yeah. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know what they'd be. But it, or ex- imagine that you're playing like a um, like a D and D game where everyone's a wizard and everything you do is through magic, right? Which is so. So you're playing 3.5. Um, so uh, so, but you could have the instead of those six approaches, you could have the nine schools of magic. Or if you, I guess there are too many, uh, uh, you know, domains for clerics to do that. But you know, like but I can, can see start that to get being, pretty close that way. I, I, I'm, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, at that point, they feel a little more like skills and approaches, honestly, because you have so many of them to deal with. But because mm-hmm. um, the thing about approaches is that everyone has five of them uh, rated from one to three, and one of them is zero. 
Um, but if you have nine approaches, then you know if you if You're everyone has doing skills game, again. Yeah, basically you have enough of them. You know, um, there's a great uh, old not old, but it's a 3.0 fate hack called Get Smart Now that's done for like espionage that has ten skills and crams everything you would do as a secret agent into ten skills, and it's great. But you know, it's ten skills. <laughs> you know, so that's it's a. a a slight bit more than uh, than approaches, so that that may be more granularity than you want. But that, that's the first thing I would think. Um, accelerated. The big difference to me is accelerated uses approaches, and core uses skills. Um, can get a lot more um, uh, specific with things. But a thing that I did because I've run Fate, I've run D and D using Fate, and uh, I did it all 2013. I ran like a series of like a campaign at conventions over the course of the year. And it was a lot of fun. And I used what I ended up using was um, approaches as uh, the standard six D and D abilities. And then they had skills too. But if you had a skill, it was just a flat plus two to your role. Mm. So either you have a skill or you don't. It's not getting deep enough into like I'm better with a skill than you. It's just whatever you have it or you don't. Does accelerated use like stunts and that kind of stuff too? Yes, mm-hmm. accelerated. Okay. Uh, you start with one stunt. Uh, Accelerated assumes you're gonna you have a more bare bones character to start, and then you fill things in as you go. Um, So yeah, you start with one stunt, and if you want, you can add more stunts as you go. It just lowers your refresh. Yeah. Um, I have I have it in my head that the god's stunt would be like their their signature weapons and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So the big deal that if you want, see, this is why I think approaches might be good because they're so they're so much broader. Mm -hmm. There's a god I don't really think you want to deal with. Like, oh, I have a plus three fight and you only have a plus two so i'm you know like we're gods um, well, yeah i was probably going to tailor the skills anyway yeah so yeah which which you should i think that the, the most uh, the best thing you can do to evoke flavor in a fake game is to like rename the skills or redo the skills in some way skills are such a big deal or approaches um i don't know if you guys have seen iron edda it's mm-hmm. a uh it kickstarted earlier this year and it's um it's really cool. It's it's a game about um That's really familiar. Vikings. Yeah, it's 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 Vikings Tra- Tracy Barnett did. It. That's why it's yeah, familiar. It's Tracy Barnett. Barnett. Vikings in basically mechs that are the skeletons of giants. Mm-hmm. Um fighting against dwarves that have actual mechs. Um and uh so what happens in that game? There are a number of different ways of like gaining that sort of power. You don't have to be a mech pilot type person or uh what is it? soul bonded or giant i can't remember what it was that's the character i played but it was really cool but um for your interactions with other people on the people scale of things you have skills like normal but then your giant has approaches so when you deal with like giant level things you use your giant's approaches and people people scale things can't affect giant things at all hmm. um so i don't care if you have a plus four fight you're not going to do any damage to that giant you cannot harm him um unless you have some way of getting to that sort of giant level of things. Like if you're a, you have a, a rune carved into you that gives you one uh, approach at plus three. Hmm. Or the, no, it's the name of your rune becomes your approach, and the rune tells you like what sort of things you can do with it. And then uh, so if you have like, like the symbol of Tyr, that's your rune that's carved into your flesh. And you can fight like Tyr, and you can fight like Thor with this, you know, your hammer or whatever. Hmm. But if you're doing anything else, you're, you don't have that kind of uh, you know, giant or god level of ability. Um, so it keeps things scaled really well. But I would say this almost sounds like an amber game where like humans don't matter. You know, some lesser beings may matter, but mm-hmm. really we're dealing with like really powerful 
things. If you ever come up against human opposition, forget it, whatever. You just bolt over. Well, yeah, because you're a god. Just, yeah, it's just narration. You don't care. You only care about the big things. So this, so this I, is actually a, a question I have for you, Mike, about it. Because, you know, my, my, some of my initial thoughts, I have a tendency with the fate stuff that I've done of just saying I'm going to run rules as written and I'm going to just change everything in flavor. So, yeah. like, one of the things, you know, in thinking about the idea of, of gods as, you know, characters as gods, is that if you just, you know, up the ante to a high degree on the, on the descriptions of what the aspects are and the descriptions of what the stunts are, and maybe the descriptions of what the uh, approaches are, um, then, you know, it just becomes narrative that, yeah, there's not a single human being on the planet who's going right. to come touch you. Right. Is, but you, but does, that, sorry, does, that miss, does that miss the, you know, are you, are you skipping over some fun ability to add new mechanics that kind of show the fact that you're a god? Um, no, I don't think so, because I think, uh, like, the... The approaches would be like the workhorse thing when people deal with each other. You know, that's a thing you roll and you add that thing. But um, I think a lot of that would lie in stunts and mm-hmm. um, and extras. Um, but uh, the stunts would have to be like, you know, you can have your plus two to a thing when I do a thing. You know, that's fine. So, you know, a bonus to an approach when I do something. But I think that the more interesting to do with stunts would be like, once per scene, you can just make this thing happen or spend mm-hmm. a fate point to do this thing. Like, um, uh, you know, your god of magic, you know, just imagine the things that he ought to be able to do. Right. You know, with magic. Like, um, so if you could just say once per scene, you can, um, you know, cancel a, you know, an exi- existing spell. You know, like any sort of magic can just, like, nullify it. Or, you know, I, obviously I don't have great ideas for this right now, but... But you understand what I'm saying? Like, no, I get have you. some arbitrary effect where he just gets to make this thing happen, and that's it. Yeah. Um, those are the levels of like everyone should have at least one stunt like that, where you know we're these demigods and gods, we're highly powerful beings who just make things happen. Well, the nice the nice thing is being that they were 30th level fourth edition characters to begin with. I bet you if they looked at their characters, and if you looked at their characters, they likely had yeah. like their go to 30th yeah. level thing. Yeah, you know, yeah, like, whatever their their either level 29 powers or whatever yeah, their, right. their epic destiny gave them at the top. Right. Look at one of those things. Cause you know, and then how do you convert that into a stunt? Yeah. 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 So, um, I, uh, I, you know, I, I hate to keep hitting this, but it's heavily on my mind lately. Atomic Robo <laughs> has some kind of arbitrary stunts like that, where like, like Robo himself, for example, is just, he's just stronger than any human and he's bulletproof. That's it. Like, Bullets bounce off him. You know, you're, there's this level of toughness where you don't have to worry about things below that. Things above that you do. But, you know, and he, if he gets into a, some sort of contest of strength with any human, he will always win. If there's something a human could do with strength, he will always be able to do it. No rolling required. It just happens. Um, so that's the level of, of things you need to think of. But I, I think that looking at their character sheets is good. I bet if they picked, you know, their one thing they'd really like to be able to do. Or, you know, steal... I don't know. I don't know what other sources there are. I know that are um, steal things from. Uh, are there are there gods statted out for uh, fourth head? Oh yeah. I know there's. I know there's orcus and stuff. But I don't know. If well, know. not no, necessarily got, like not necessarily like yeah. monster stats, but they've got. Yeah. No, they do. Loth is a god. Yeah. Like, Godish. Godish. <laughs> she's a demon queen. <laughs> you take that back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly though. She's a demon she's queen. A god. Demon queens are she's not, not just a demon queen anymore. She turned into a god in some book from a while back but yeah. here my my big advice is um don't look this up on wikipedia <laughs> fate is a fate is about 
choices right. more than things randomly happening, right? Mm -hmm. So in D&D, &D, you would, you know, I don't know, you get a critical when you roll a 20. In Fate, you might have some critical effect you can do when you spend a Fate point. And if you succeed with style and spend a Fate point, you get this thing, right? So the element of... Um, the, the random element is still there. You still have to succeed with style. But you know what? As long as you succeed by one, if you spend one fate point and invoke an aspect, now you're succeeding with style. So it's not that hard to do. Mm -hmm. um, so don't have effects that are random so much. Let, um, let there be uh, choices that people make. Like um, um, I, I'm having trouble right now thinking of like big earth-shaking ones. But, you know, even just uh, once per scene, you can uh, destroy any physical object or, you know, like things that just let them – like go hog wild with it yeah, yeah. or uh, once per um uh you know once per scene um you know you pick like a, a mortal or just a rather regular person either has to obey you or they have to cower before you or you know just let them make things happen uh in the game i mean what's kind of funny about that is not only is the character powerful but the player is going to feel powerful as well because they just get to decide this thing happens you know i get to do it once per scene or i get to spend a fate point to do it and uh, it's you know there'd be a kind of neat level of identity identification with the uh, with the, the character there. Um, where in playing D and D, I know Fourth Ed is I love Fourth Ed by the way. Um, and it what I like about it, one of the things is the way even low level powers give you narrative control over mm -hmm. what's happening. Like oh, it turns out I'm going to jump over that guy and hit him in the back. What do you know? <laughs> that just mm -hmm. happened mm -hmm. um, because I decided to use his daily power. So um, uh, there's already a lot of that built in. Um, something like come and get it, where you're know, like, you know, what? all these guys are just going to come at me, and I'm going to attack them all. That's how that's going to go down. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't, I'm not waiting for your permission to do it. They're all just going to come at me. Um, so uh, that's that's the kind of thing that works with fate. Um, lots of times, I see people want to do this kind of one-to-one -one conversion of things from D and D to fate, where you know they have, I, I don't know, um, things are, they try to bring things over too exactly, but what you want yeah. to do is just go for the spirit of things. Yeah, and, that's, not... that's, I, and they're gods now, and I was thinking of, yeah. uh, my intent was to sort of, the timeline has advanced a while, and we're not even necessarily worried in this game about what's going on to the, to the mortals, right? We're, we're right. up in the plains, and we're dealing with politics with other gods and, and that kind of stuff, so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, could this be... Could the game start centuries after? Yeah, that, that was sort of what I had in mind, yeah. Yeah, like, so they're well-established in their new roles. Right. You know, they're quite comfortable. So they, there's no need to make exactly the same character they have. I right. mean, they, you know, it gives them a good excuse to just take liberties with their character. Exactly. Um, so that's, those, that's one thing I would think of is... Um, you know, high aspect, uh, like, you know, the high aspect of, of the one character would be... God of magic, done. Yeah, that kind of <laughs> yeah, right. So everyone's everyone's gonna. Are they all? Would it be fair to call them all like divinities or? Yeah, yeah. Deities? All of them are. The one guy's a god, and everybody else is is a demigod. Okay, so yeah, so that's everyone has. <laughs> who got who got screwed? <laughs> yeah, so every everyone will have their. I think it'd be a good idea to have everyone stake their territory out, just like the God of Magic did. Right. So, you know, no, I, I God of Magic. That, that actually was was part of the finale of the of the adventure. I know exactly what each of them okay. became. Right. So that's everyone's concept aspect. Yeah. Because that's what matters in the world. Right. Um, you, you, can, could, you could even you could even rename it that instead of calling them like high concepts and troubles and everything like that. You could actually rename those five fields into the things that matter. So you have pantheon. Yeah. You know, pantheon yeah, could be your high concept, and that again, kind of portfolio. Yeah, yeah, portfolio, right? You know, godlike. Yeah. 
portfolio makes him sound like a tax collector. But no, but that's that's, that's the oh, term right. they use for, yeah, for the, the gods. So. I know. That's it still makes that's it sound like an investment. <laughs> or like they're an artist trying to get work. <laughs> right. um, so uh, the bet is good, though. That's exactly what I was going to say. So I almost never <laughs> – addition time. I almost never make a character – uh, anymore. I guess I used to in Spirit of the Century when I'd hack that, but I never really make characters according to like how the aspects say they, they ought to go. Mm-hmm. Like uh, when I've been in someone else's game and I've made a character, we've gone through the you know, guest star in someone else's thing, guest star in another person's thing. Um, but uh, I, these guys have a long history together already. Mm-hmm. So an interesting thing you could do since they have this shared history together would be you could have them pick. Um, this would be this would be kind of involved, but I think it'd be a neat way to leverage the the sheer length of the campaign you had was each of them to pick like three kind of defining moments for their character out of all that stuff they went through, um, and then translate that into an aspect somehow. Um, like if someone you know died for someone else and was brought back to life, that might that make a good aspect in some way. Like. Um, uh, I don't know what it, I don't know what the aspect would be off the top of my head, but but like big dramatic moments like that, that I'm sure everyone had at least three of those over the course of thirty levels. Sure, um, that might be a neat thing to do to get them to, especially since this this seems to be as much about like uh, like nostalgia as it is transitioning to. Right. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Be, if I if I played a character for thirty levels, I'd want I'd want this game to celebrate that character. Yes. Right. So if that's what it is, it'd be kind of cool for everyone to have three aspects that speak to their history. Um, so that's something to think of. Obviously, I don't have it very well framed right now, but uh, and, that and remind that me, would... how many aspects ultimately does, does one character end up having? Five, five, yeah. And that and does that include the the high aspect? Yeah, yeah. That's the concept, yeah. the trouble, and then there are three others. Yeah. So okay. I think it's still be a good idea to keep the trouble because um, yeah. I don't know, it just seems right. Like every it makes it more interesting. Deity, and every deity ought to have some interesting weakness. Yes. It doesn't have to be like, like vulnerable to kryptonite or anything, but. You know, just something personality-wise. Whatever the trouble, whatever it says in the book, I just do a trouble like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but yeah, I really like the idea of I like the idea of them having those, those history aspects. Yeah. So one one thing, I think the players are really going to give all those to you, right? Like if you yeah. sat down and said, "Here are these blank fields. What were the yeah. things that really built your character for you?" And they say, "Hail of Arrows, man. I love Hail of Arrows." Yeah. And you're like, "There you go. You know, Hail of Arrows was one, and oh, Twin, you can, Twin can, Strike was another. You know, yeah, they'll, they'll pick your pick your favorite power as long right. as it's right. like a really boring name. And that, that or that's <laughs> actually that's either an aspect or a stunt. That'd be a great name for a stunt. Yeah, and that's exactly right. If it's a great big thing, it could be an aspect. If it's a smaller thing. It could be a stunt, yeah. yeah like, and then they could just design the mechanics around it. I don't know how much demand there would be for this, but I think it would be kind of fun to go through all of the fourth ed uh, powers <laughs> and convert them all into stunts. <laughs> I, I, I converted a ton of three point five ish feats into stunts. Yeah. Um, for a, dun- a hack called Dungeons of Fate. No, no, no plug. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it was designed to do exactly available at slideflourish.com. Yeah, you could get it at slideflourish. It's free, by the way. It's Creative Commons. Yeah, I know. I gave uh, those those fake D and D characters. I gave like the fighter guy had a yeah. Like, I saw him. I was just bars the gates and you know um, because I'm I myself am a sucker for old school D and D. Although yeah. I by the way, your adventure D&D. name is I think the best adventure name I've seen. Expedition to the sinister temple of the reptile cult on the borderlands. <laughs> yeah, there were. That's a there, great the adventure. Idea was name. for the first two was to mash up as many yeah. like classics and AD and D modules as I could. And then when I realized we're going to keep this going, then I started doing, like, more reasonable modules. 
Descent. But, this uh, is, is this the more reasonable one? Descent into the Tower of the Silver Demon Web at Dunwater. Yeah. That's <laughs> it. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> that was the second one. That was F2. <laughs> F2. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, yeah, awesome stuff. After that, they had, like, more reasonable names. But, but it was cool because I had the same characters but a different group of players every time. Uh, except for one or two who returned to reprise the roles. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think that there's there's a lot in that. And I also like to have uh, campaign aspects, just like a few aspects that kind of set the tone for what mm-hmm. the game is going to be like. And they start with a free invocation each. And um, they, well, I guess this, this exists in, in the Fate game creation rules, but... Um, uh, I usually just come up with them arbitrarily instead of talking things over with my players because I usually run one-shots at conventions and I don't go through all this. I just give them characters and then we do the thing. Um, but I find that it's really useful to help set the tone and focus everyone on what you want to do. And I think in your case, I would do it uh, – I would just do it in advance because you can really – you can – with a gentle touch, you can kind of steer them towards the kind of game that you want without railroading anyone into yeah. it. Um, I'm making so li- I, I'm making lists by the way as you guys are talking. So I've already I've got a, a full page of, of notes already right. and, and ideas. So like if you have an aspect of um, uh, like I had this for a, a atomic robot game at random, like the wonders and terrors of science. You know, okay, so this game is going to involve that, no matter what else happens, and it's a free invocation on the table for someone to use, right? So, so someone's going to want to do something wonderful or terrifying with science, and then. Um, you know, it's, that's going to happen as long as you have it on the table. Because those campaign aspects will always get snapped up. And uh, that's good because it means that things happen the way you want them to. They can even be really meta. Like um, Morgan Ellis started doing this with his uh, fate game, uh, The Spirit of the Shattered Earth, which was like a post-APOC comic book. And one of the, um, like one of the aspects was Splash Page. Another was Kirby Dots. You know, just like this is what it would look like in a comic. <laughs> so you can describe that cool splash page when you come crashing through the window and, you know, whatever happens. Um, so that's something to think about, too. You can get meta with it. You know these players very well. You could even get a little funny with it, you know, like self-referential. Um, yeah, you can might... talk about how any particular power is totally broken. You could build a broken yeah. bit into the power, right? Yeah. <laughs> the ranger can kill everything. Yeah, right. Kill it. Yeah, right. <laughs> shoot, shoot everything in the multiverse. Yeah. <laughs> um. I also yeah, so, like uh, – and, and Aeon Wave did this a little bit – is that the campaign aspects also sort of um, introduce the the story concepts. You know, I, I could use the Corrupted Weave as you know a campaign aspect, which could yeah. come into play as, as something to, to invoke. Uh, but it, it also lets them sort of know right up, right up front, this is the problem, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And keep in mind it's something you can compel too. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, right. Also, just uh, you know, just be cool as GM. Don't use those free invokes yourself. Always pay for it. Let the players use the free ones. Sure. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, definitely think of them not just as things players can use, but as things you can compel against them, or they can you know, they can compel themselves. Um, because when they're out there on the table for everyone to use, they apply to everyone. They're available to everyone. That's like a big deal. That's kind of a, a thing that unifies everyone. Um, you know. Uh, I, I, if you had even a name for the group, not that they have a name necessarily, but like, you know, if they did have a I mean, name, they, they had a name once upon a time. But yeah, if, if there was a good way to collectively refer to them, yeah. even that's a good aspect, right? Because anyone can use that. Um, 
or you know, often atomic robots remain calm and trust in science. That's Tesladyne's mission statement. So mm. you know, <laughs> that's something everyone's going to use at some point in every game if someone needs to remain calm and trust in science. Um, so you know, think about ways that you can set the tone and uh, not, not just you know set the tone and then kind of bring everyone together with those campaign aspects. They're very handy for that. Mm-hmm. But of course, if you leave it to the players, who knows what they're going to come up with? <laughs> Can't involve them in this. No, you have to take <laughs> the reins before they get involved. I mean, that to me is one of the beautiful design elements of Fate overall. Is that you know you can call something anything, and it still equates to essentially you know plus two on a forty you know four Fate dice yeah, roll. Yeah. Like you know, it could be call you know summon the moon down and scrape the earth. You're like, that's great. That's a, in, you know, plus three on your intelligence, plus two for your call the moon fate and, you know, feet or stunt <laughs> yeah, and yeah. four fate dice, right? You like to talk about that time you hit the world with the moon. Yeah, I know. You've uh, brought it up I like didn't. three was, or, uh, what, two months in a row king. now. Yeah, I was a king. He's, he's bad. Yeah, I think anyone would. <laughs> <laughs> like, right you're on. not going to top that. And, and it almost sounds like what you're describing here, though, is that you're, you, it's almost a different a new a new type of aspect, right? You're talking about sort of the group aspects. Yeah, but the, that can be. I think that can be classified under a campaign aspect too. Okay, I sure. mean, that makes sense. Um, but yeah, there isn't like a specific. Maybe there, might, there isn't a specific category for that presented in Fake Core. But um, I mean, I before Fake Core came along, I'd routinely been running games, and other people do it too. But Morgan and Ellis and I run games at these LA conventions all the time, so like we developed similar styles for this. But, you know, there'll be like eight uh, aspects on the table that have a free invocation each that are just, you know, campaign aspects or mm-hmm. game aspects. Um, and so, uh, you know, you get used to doing it. You want to give your players freebies, but like I say, it also steers them in a, in a – sets, you know, sets the tone. I want to say steer them in a direction. That sounds too heavy-handed. But, um, but, yeah, so maybe there isn't a category for that. But it's – I think to me it feels like a very common practice thing to do. Yeah, yeah. I like it. I've got all kinds of ideas already. Good. That's the idea for you to have ideas. Yep. And I've, I've, I've not been filling it out. I have the, the game creation worksheet that's provided uh, mm-hmm. sitting next to me, but I've started sort of filling in some ideas. You know, I've got my – I've come up with a current and, and impending issue. I've got some ideas for faces and places. You know, I'm, I'm, already, yeah. I'm starting to pull all these together now. Yeah. I, I mean I would honestly say if this – you know, the game creation worksheet I think is very good for if you're, you expect a heavy longer game. Sure. You know, you get – the important thing is you get the players involved so they get invested in the things they come up with and then the game's about the stuff they came up with, and, you know. So everyone uh, feels a lot of affinity for the campaign setting from the get-go. But in this case, you have a very well-established setting. Everyone right. knows. Everyone gets it. Everyone's invested because it's their characters they've been playing for 30 levels right. in, a, in a new form. So like for something like that, for a one or two shot, I, I would have no problem doing it all myself. But again – my perspective is really skewed from almost never running a game outside of a convention. <laughs> so, grain of salt. Sure. Jeff, just one other idea. Because items have such a big effect in uh, D&D in general and certainly in 4th edition, mm-hmm. um, uh, on the assumption that the characters each kind of had their favorite go-to item, you could make the item one of the aspects as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah. of those five, you could say, like, you know, again, you could have, okay, what's your, what's your portfolio or pantheon? Oh, your symbol. Yeah, and you're right. And one of them could be, you know, what is your iconic item? You know, like yeah, all all your followers walk around carrying these because you do. Yeah, right? I and would even like, say uh, you don't. Nec- you could also do this. It's a little more complicated, and you probably don't want to mess with it 
given the short uh, duration of the game. Mm -hmm. But you could um, not have everyone pick the same five uh, types of aspects. You could have everyone has to have a portfolio. Everyone has to have a trouble. So your, your other three. Here's a list of five kinds of aspects to pick from. And you guys pick so, what you want. Yeah. And b- so get someone could have five. three history aspects. Someone could have two history and an item, or they could have, uh, you know, a history and a like a, a contact, like a specific person, or you know, or um, you know, a tie to a particular nation or something. Right. So everyone idea. could pick their own thing. Um, I long ago, my old fate hack, Spirit of the Sword. Um, back then, we called everything Spirit of something because. Spirit of the Century right. um, did that with uh, with races too. Like you, you could have a race aspect, so you're you know elf or dwarf or something, um, and then that gives you the ability to pick from elf or dwarf kind of stunts. Everything was so much more nailed down back then. Now it's there's a lot more freedom. Um, so uh, uh, yeah, I think that's that's a good idea, but it does introduce a little more uh, for them to think about as they do their character. Um, so I, while as much as I like the history thing, uh, I would, I still think it might be cool because like maybe not everyone has some, you a, know, a moment they can remember symbol. from a year ago. Yeah, yeah, I, I bet they could. That I think they could, but maybe not everyone has something that feels like a real signature weapon. I know mm, how yeah, it sure. ends up. You run through a bunch of weapons in a D and D game, and you know, or the wizard, everyone, for example, who doesn't really use yeah. a weapon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or everyone wants their one thing that they used. It's like their Stormbringer or something, but you know, right. it might not work that way. Well, um, and yeah, that idea of like again, there's these five general fields. What what made your character your character to you? Yeah, and yeah. and that might be your background and this bit of history and this other yeah. you know these other kind of abstract things. Or for someone else, you know, the weapon master could be oh, I loved my axe and I loved my sword and I loved my awesome armor and I loved yeah. my shield. Right, and each of those are the aspects. Yeah, right? yeah. and and, and I, you know another one could be could be like their power. Right, what was your mm-hmm. defining power? You know, yeah, right. The, right. the, the archer with his twin yeah. strike or whatever. Mm-hmm. Although I really think that kind of thing is better for a stunt because remember with aspects you oh. want something that's big works either way, right? Something you can compel. Oh sure, sure. Uh, so an aspect like Lord of Blades is great, right? Because yeah, I'm a great fighter, and also yeah. I don't know. Surely there are some responsibilities that come with being the Lord of Blades, right? And, you know, <laughs> or challenges um, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah the you best, you know, the most accurate archer in the universe. You're like, yeah. Oh, I want to wound that guy. I'm like, no, nope, you hit him in the heart. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's your, it's your gift and your curse. No. Yeah. Um, I hit everything through the eye. Every something time. Like, something like twin strike is great as um as, as a stunt. A stunt. Yeah. yeah. So and it'd be really easy. It would be like spend a fate point. Like you make an attack roll, spend a fate point to apply that attack roll against a second target. Sure. Like it's could not be simpler. Yeah. Um, there are more complicated ways to do that. I mean, the usual way for splitting your attack is like take the number of shifts you got and yeah. you know take your attack roll and split it between different enemies. Yeah. But that's what like, you did in Aeon yeah. Wave. I know. Yeah. But I did uh, well, that's they too. Yeah, it's it's a, a pretty standard way of doing it. So there's there's nothing wrong with it. But um, mm-hmm. you know, if you're gonna have like a stunt, it should be better, strictly better than the usual way of doing that. But um, it also has to be narrow enough that they're not going to just spam it the whole time. Right. Yeah, but I mean, but that particular implementation of Twin Strike only works if you really care about hitting two targets. Right. It's not. It's not like Twin Strike really is. Right. Where yeah. you just <laughs> nail a guy twice. I'm going to always use round. Twin Strike. Yeah. 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 Um, if I talk about it too much, my wife gets mad. <laughs> there's no. Here's a good aspect. There's no problem. Two arrows can't solve. <laughs> um, 
I need to write so, that down to tell so, yeah, that character. Yeah. So, so I, I think that, yeah, again, the powers are great inspirations for uh, stunts. That sounds really cool. And, you know, as like those um, epic destiny powers, you know, like make those into big, huge extras. Um, and you might want to say, you know, fake horses, you get three stunts and after that it's cost you refresh. You might want to say everyone gets, you know, two extras uh, for free and then three stunts. Because you know, we're I, gods, darn it. Yeah, right, exactly. Gods, <laughs> don't you're, don't you're, worry right. about loading it up. It's already more complicated. Yeah. Um, so, like, you get one extra that speaks directly to your portfolio, mm-hmm. another extra that's based off of, you know, some ep- one of your epic destiny powers, let's say. Sure. And Mike, then you can, go, you, go can you stack stunts? Um, is, I, there, is there a specific kind of rule that says, like, if you're going to fire a stunt, you got to pick one? Um, I don't think there is a rule that says that. Okay. I and again, I thought I, thought I, 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 thought I saw there was one. In, um, okay, well, that would be good. I mean, I just read it like. <laughs> it could, would be nice if one of us thought of that. Yeah, I think it was um, in there that that like, pretty much very seldom do it, does anything stack. Yeah, and the, yeah. the nice thing about that, and that's again the nice thing about the way fate sort of scales, is that you know you could have a million aspects, and it doesn't matter because you still have to use a fate point to invoke them, and fate points are you know limited. Right. So. Yeah. Same way with stunts. Like, you give someone five stunts instead of three, it adds a lot of flavor to their character. And it doesn't matter because they can still only use one in any given situation. Yeah. Yeah. But your assumption is they're always going to use their top aspect. They're always going to throw in a fate point. They're always going to use a stunt. I should say a caution about aspects, though, especially if your players aren't familiar with them, um, is if, you know, there's a real danger of aspect bloat. Yeah. Like, um, if you – that's why maybe three campaign aspects or something is a good number because they have the five on their sheet. They have the three that everyone shares. But, like – that's eight they have to deal with so far, and that's, that's pushing it. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah, why if the scene aspects aspect, can be a big deal, too. Yeah, yeah. Then if the aspects are clearly defined in terms of, like on their character sheet, you know, this aspect slot is for this sort of feature about your character, and this one is for this sort of thing. That's why it's good, I think, to categorize them like that, because everyone, every one of their aspects feels very distinct, and for like a, you know, the, the context of it feels very clear. Um, whereas if you have, uh, just especially I think for new players, if you have, I don't know, a little more generically applicable um, aspects, then it might get confusing to them. Are they going to be using the same one over and over again or something? Yeah. Very good. All right. Well, I think we're running close on time here, but if you have any last sort of bits of advice for me to scribble down on my notes, I think I've got a good start to, to sort of cobble through where I'm going. Well, you said you've run Fate once before? One time, just okay. a couple days ago. Okay, so I have uh, – I almost universally have this advice for Fate GMs and this other advice for Fate players. So for Fate GMs, please don't be afraid to just hit them hard all the time. Like okay. it will be more fun for them, especially if they have the safety valve of those weave consequences. Yeah, or something, yeah, yeah. Right? It will make it more fun. If yeah. you get through a Fate game and you don't have a consequence, it always feels like, uh, like kind of a disappointment to me. Like you really, Fate's one of those games where it's. I feel like it's pretty fun to suffer your way through it. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you hit them, like don't be afraid to hit them hard. Like don't worry about how they're going to deal with it. They'll figure out a way, you know, or they'll be taken out. Whatever, you know, nobody dies unless you want them to die in Fate, yeah. so it's not a big deal. And, and, and in this case, they're gods, so I, I don't know if they yeah, even can yeah. die. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, any defeat, a taken out result is going to get narrated as something other than death anyway. Mm-hmm. So don't worry about it. Um, my advice for players is to. Uh, you know, it's okay to take a consequence or to check a stress box. You know, save your fate points for being awesome, right? Like, don't 
I have seen a player spend, I don't know, like six fate points to avoid taking one point of stress. That is not smart. Hmm. I mean, nothing against him. But uh, it's not, it's, it's boring. Yes. <laughs> right, no, it's, not a, it's not about being smart. It's about not being fun. Yeah. And I mean, think about in your turn, you could have used those six fate points to really lay into a guy. Yeah. You know? So spend your, uh, save your fate points for doing something really cool. Don't save them. Don't spend them on defense all the time. Like, it's, I'm not saying you can't ever spend them on defense, but like, it will be a lot more fun for you if you're willing to take a consequence now and then. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so if you put those two things together, you hit them really hard. They'll be willing to take consequences. Everything, uh, everything goes together. Um, so yeah. Other than that, um, I don't know. I mean, I'm interested in this in this game. I kind of want to like break up my fourth head stuff again and <laughs> seeing what I could do to it. Well, I'm sure uh, next month when we do our regular behind the DM screen, I'll be talking about how it, how it went. Although I don't know if I've played it by then. Well, I, whatever one it is, I'll listen to it. There you go. I, I still got to release a couple of months yeah. worth of them. Like I'm sitting on yeah. them. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Great. I, have a, I have a couple of thought parting thoughts, Jeff. Yes, give them to um, me. So one is I would I would pay particular attention. Read read up on both the Fate Accelerated and Fate Core books mm-hmm. on how stunts work, like how, how stunts can be built. Mm -hmm. And then when you're working, when, when the players are designing their characters, let them, let them kind of go crazy with the ideas behind the stunts, but have in your mind what generally they're supposed to do. And and that way you, you, you have something in your mind about being able to bound those stunts because stunt, stunt design is actually pretty tough. And it's, it's, I've, I've found it pretty easy to go overboard and make stunts too powerful or too easy to use all the time. Yeah. Uh, or likewise, come up with a stunt idea and then limit it too much, and then no one ever wanted to use it. Sure. So um, yeah. have have an idea about how stunts are supposed to work. Keep it in mind, and that way, when they say like, "I want to," you know, "I want to be able to to you know the rip, rip the soul out of the bodies of the living," you can say, "Okay, this is how that would work," <laughs> yeah, and, <laughs> and you know what the mechanics are. And um, you know, again, for these characters, stunts that do things like spend a fate point to kill every nameless NPC in the room, you know. That's that's a good stunt mm-hmm. for these kinds of characters, right? That'd oh, yeah, be yeah. insanely powerful for a normal fake character. Part of me is almost almost inclined to say, you know, you if you want to tear the soul out of the living, then you know, yeah, you, you can just yeah. do it. You just do okay. that. You don't need a stunt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that's yeah. that's what I mean, right? That, like you well, want the I mean, flavor to be epic, and you want or you know beyond epic, right? But you also want to know, like, okay, mechanically, how is this supposed to work? Mm-hmm. And yeah, and I, that's that's a tricky thing to learn. I recommend looking I found it to. Uh, to uh, world engine games for how to phrase stunts. Okay. Um, for like, you could have a stunt that starts uh, when you rip a soul out of the living. Something, right? It's mm-hmm. not just. It makes the assumption you can do this already. Sure. <laughs> and then, but it tells you the thing that happens that's cool when you do that. Um, so I, I found that really, really useful for Atomic Robo. I set up a ton of characters from the comic, and. Um, so there are like 8,000 example stunts in Atomic Robo because they're attached to these characters. And um, believe me, you get tired of the plus two to a thing when you do a thing or yeah. use this skill instead of that skill, right? So you, you want to come up with more and more interesting things for characters to do. So I found it really handy after a while because I had run, again, in 2012, I'd run so much Dungeon World. I really just started to think of them like moves in uh, Dungeon World or Apocalypse hmm. World or Monster Hearts or yeah. you know, whatever. I, I ran into that trap really quickly into the plus two to a thing when you do a thing. Yeah, like almost yeah, all, my, all my stunts. There's nothing wrong with those. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with those stunts. But yeah. um, and it's, it's the know, easy way to know that the mechanics are going to work, but it's also yeah. totally balanced. Yeah. yeah, 
Um, but you know, there's for these characters especially, there's nothing wrong with just having these, you know, just effects happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, but the whole, and the what's cool about it is it tells the player. Um, I guess you're not making them for the players; they're going to make their characters. But if you're making them in a situation where I almost always run games, it tells the player something about what their character can do right away. Like when you do this, like mm-hmm. oh, apparently I can do that. <laughs> Who knew I could rip the souls out of the living? <laughs> it says yeah. right here. Just a and that's, and that's yeah. When when you kind of give those giant stunts that do all sorts of crazy stuff, then the only thing to consider is the limiter, right? What's the yeah. what's the thing? What what's the circumstance where they can do that? And how does it ensure that they don't do it to everything? All that. Hey, yeah. I can pull this. Well, you know, Balors are living, and there's twenty of them. They're all dead. Yeah. You know? yeah. And then, what threat are you possibly going to throw at them? That's going to matter if they can do it to everything. Only uh, other, it, only other gods. I guess. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, the other the, the other piece of advice, and this is probably longer, and we can we can talk more about this. Is there's a whole trick to how do you design the kinds of threats that they're going to face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I came up. With, I came up with a relatively simple way of kind of creating threats on the fly in my Dungeons of Fate hack. Um, I don't. I don't. You know. Could you give me the elevator version of of that simple? Yeah, way? it's right. And and the way mine works is every every monster is essentially based on the ladder. Um, so you choose the power level of a monster by just picking the, you know, picking the point on the ladder. So you might say, and I was using level ranges, so you might say level five. You could actually just add 30 to them, and then now suddenly they became epic. So you could say, a level 35 god is actually, you know, five on the ladder, which means that its attacks are fives, its defenses are fives. Um, you know, if somebody wants to overcome anything that it does, it, they're going up against a five, mm-hmm. and that it has five stress boxes, one, two, three, four, and five. Mm-hmm. And and a five would actually be relatively tough against a normal size group. Like, you know, right. fives all around mean that they're going to have to beat on it. Sixes are going to be even tougher, because now you're talking stress boxes one, two, three, four, five, and six, and they defend at six, which means they have to do more than six to even hit it at all. Right. I would, uh, sevens I, and eights I, get totally out of hand. I would, uh, I think that's a good that's a good place to start. I would um, uh, suggest looking at how NPCs are built in Fate Accelerated and combining those two things. Okay. So NPCs and Fate Accelerated, well, unimportant ones anyway. Um, they're good at some things and they're bad at other things. So the right. things they're good at, they get a plus two to their role. The things they're bad at, they get a minus two. So if you take that and combine it with Mike's uh, level-based thing, then what I think is important, because I've been in these games where no matter what we do to a thing, it always defends with the same skill, skill rating, is that um, uh, it becomes, uh, for me, it became uninteresting whether I was intimidating this thing or attacking it physically. Yeah, right, because you're always It was all the same, right? It, was, mm-hmm. it felt like there was no way in, yeah. you know? Like, oh, I'm going to try to mind control it because yeah, I can do that. Okay, beat yeah. a six. Like, yeah, yeah. that's what I had to beat when I just tried to punch it. Right. Um, so yeah, that's, that, that, yeah, that's a great way to that, do it. That's why the good and bad thing gives gives him something to discover. Like, oh, he's not as good at that. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and you might, which you might is also very D and D, right? Yeah, you might yeah. throw an arbitrary plus two and minus two on those. So you say like, okay, it's a level five or level six guy, but when this is occurring, it's only level four. When this is occurring, it's yeah. level seven. Yeah. And, yeah. and like, okay, well, I'm never getting past its giant enormous shield, but I can hit it with mental attacks right. or whatever. Yeah. Like that kind of hits almost a Numenera style, where you know. The creatures are level, and then certain things are levels lower, and certain things are levels higher. Mm-hmm. But it means that you can build monsters on the fly just by saying, okay, do I want it to be tough, and what's it good at, and what's it bad at, and then you're done. Yeah. You don't have to do anything else to create a monster. Mm-hmm. And this stunt thing, you know, we're talking mostly from the player's perspective, but as the GM, you come up with 
things you want them to go up against, you're probably going to want to make the important ones interesting by giving them stunts of some kind. So, um, you know, that's actually a thing for you. It would be a good. It'd be good if you were able to work out enough interesting stunts ahead of time that when it came time for the players to make their characters, you would have a sense of like how that goes, so yeah. you could help them through it. I'm going to um, go through a also, lot of index cards in the next few weeks. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that may be. Um, uh, and also, you know, uh, I I would be so if you want. I was going to say if you want to. Um, I know this isn't really relevant to the podcast, but if you want to contact me in the future mm-hmm. with ideas for stunts you came up with for monsters or whatever things mm-hmm. you want them to do, like I'd be happy to take a look at that because this cool. this interests me. Yeah, <laughs> this awesome. whole thing really interests me. So um, you know, yeah, with all my with all my free time that I'll have once <laughs> Robo wraps up this week. So right on. And when does Robo come out? Since we're wrap, starting to wrap up here, and we want to make sure people know that where they can go and find your stuff. Uh, Atomic Robo, the role-playing game, will come out in June, um, early June, in spring, just like we said. Um, And uh, it will be exciting. When does this uh, drop? Uh, That's an interesting question. Um, Will it be months from now? No, it won't be months from now, but it might be a month from now. Okay, well, exciting. Depending on how quickly I get the the previous ones done. Okay. Well, it's uh, available for pre-order. Okay. So there you go. Atomic yeah. Robo based on the comic book but and built on the, the Fate system. Yeah, and uh, it has – just like the thing we're talking about here, it has um, – you know, it's been extensively modified to fit exactly, in my opinion, uh, Atomic Robo. Right on. So um, yeah, it's uh, – I'm very excited about it. It's been the focus of my professional life for about two years. So let's do this. Sweet. I hope people uh, go buy it, please. I hope people go check it out, and I hope people are not overly annoyed by the hour and sixteen minutes of weird sounding me. If that's even a thing that they're hearing, and it's not just me. Hopefully, it's just me. I think it sounds fine to me. Yeah, I'm crossing my fingers. All right. Uh, well, that's that's what I got, and I've got a lot of work to do. It sounds like, um, but I've got a lot of really good ideas now. So I think I've got a lot of lonely fun. Yeah, that's right. I think I, I think I got a good start. I've got a, I got a lot of things to build on. So I appreciate that, guys. And if I have any questions. I will certainly shoot you an email, uh, and I'm sure we'll be talking about it on an upcoming uh, Behind the DM screen. So uh, thanks again, guys, and say goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.